Welcome back, everyone, on this episode of The Joseph Carlson Show. Binance has written a letter of intent to purchase FTX. This comes after FTX announced that they had a liquidity problem. They had a liquidity crunch, and this is a complicated issue. Now, I'm going to go through and unravel this issue, explain a lot of the things that I think some people are leaving out, and I'm also going to address the criticisms that I sponsored FTX earlier this year. We're going to be diving into all of it in this episode. Now, we also have Disney falling 12% today. This sends Disney's stock back to where it was five years ago. So we're going to be going over Disney's earnings report, looking at the numbers, reviewing the thesis, and seeing if this is a company that we should still continue to invest in. And then we finally had Mark Zuckerberg's message to his employees get officially released. We had the leaked rumored news from the Wall Street Journal that they were planning on doing layoffs. Now, my prediction was the layoffs were going to be a substantial amount. I predicted it would be above 10,000 employees. And the number came in, they're citing 11,000 employees. So we're going to go over this letter and I highlighted the portions that I think are the most relevant to investors. So as always, we have a lot to jump into in this episode. Let's go ahead and start off with a quick portfolio update. When I look over my new purchases that I've made this year, I'm actually happy with the results. In the restaurant category, Texas Roadhouse so far has been a big outperformer. And this is a company that I'm very excited to own for the long term. I think it's a very well-managed company. Starbucks is a company that I certainly did not time the bottom when I originally bought into this company. It continued to trade down another 10 and 20%, but it's since recovered and I'm now flat on the holding. So overall, these two companies, since buying them this year, have actually outperformed the market. They've done quite well. And I really believe that both of these companies are strong fundamentally and will continue to compound in the future. The tech category has been hit the hardest. This is actually a category that I haven't made many changes to this year. I've added slightly to Microsoft as this one has dropped, but the price has continued to drop. And I'm not gonna be able to call the bottom for any of these stocks. Right now, I think Microsoft is undervalued. And I believe that for a very long period of time. But undervalued stocks can remain undervalued for a long period of time, especially in a bear market. I think it could take up to a year or two until Microsoft gets another bid and the multiples expand. In the meantime, this is a company that I feel very comfortable holding. I don't think that I'm going to lose money on it in the long term. Apple's another one that's been a big winner overall, but this company's retracing a bit with the overall sell-off. We're down to $10,000 in gains. In terms of Apple, this is another one that I just look at the five-year, the 10-year, and I see this company right now as incredibly strong. They have a lot of levers to pull to be able to increase profitability in the future. And I don't really consider this company all that discretionary. In my opinion, like I've stated many times, I view Apple as a consumer staple company that has very good economics. The company that I've been buying the most of recently is in the consumer category, it's Estee Lauder. This company has had a massive sell-off and this has given me an opportunity to buy into a company that I've wanted to own for a long time. This company was just recently at $371 per share. Right now it trades at 206. So it's down quite a bit and it's getting to the territory where I think it's now buyable. Now I'll mention again, I'm not gonna be able to time the bottom with these initial purchases. Just because Estee Lauder is decent value right now does not mean that it won't trade further down. In bear markets, companies routinely, and often in most cases, trade well below their fair value. So this position is gonna be one that I'm gonna to try to build up to a little bit bigger of a position. I wanna get it into that 10 to $15,000 range, but it's gonna take some time to get there. So overall, I haven't done anything dramatic with the portfolio. I've just been compounding my share count through dividend payments and new investments. Now moving on, we have the breaking news as of yesterday that Binance 
is going to potentially be buying FTX after FTX has ran into a liquidity crunch. Now, the most incredible part of this entire transaction is how Binance was able to purchase FTX in the first place. The two billionaires had been hurling snarky remarks at each other for several months. So these CEOs do not like each other. These owners of these different exchanges do not have a friendly relationship. They say, but the relationship hit an all-time low earlier this week, as Zhao said that Binance was selling its holdings in FTT, the native token on the FTX exchange. When Binance announced that they were selling all of their FTT publicly, that caused basically a bank run. That's like when everybody goes to the bank and tries to withdraw their money all on the same day. Since the bank has loans and obligations, they may not have the liquidity to pay all of the people that exact same time. And that causes liquidity issues. That's what FTX has ran into. So after Binance caused this bank run on FTX and caused liquidity issues, it's placed FTX in a compromised position where Binance is now coming to the rescue to buy them. This is truly incredible stuff right here. Whether or not Binance's CEO intended to do this in the first place, the way that this worked out is incredible. Now, where does this leave current FTX users and FTX US being a sponsor of the channel earlier this year? Over seven months ago, FTX US came to me wanting to sponsor this YouTube channel. Right off the bat, I told them, I don't think they'd be a good fit. I don't think you'd be a good match because you're a crypto exchange. You're a crypto exchange, which is something that I don't even deal with. I don't even look at crypto. I've never once bought crypto in my life. And I thought that my audience would have a strong ideological difference between FTX US and their platform. So the first thing that I said was the differences in the type of investors that my channel centered around. We simply don't talk about crypto a lot on this channel. Now, FTX US said, that's not a problem. In fact, we're launching an entirely separate new product which is a stock brokerage. And we wanna get notice that we're not just a crypto platform, we're moving into stocks where you can buy those productive dividend paying assets. Now that's when I actually begin to be interested in the sponsorship. After looking at the brokerage platform on FTX US and confirming that it's part of SIPC and FINRA, I decided to go forward with the negotiations. I told them that I would do this sponsorship as long as they agreed that I would never have to promote the crypto portion of their platform as it's unregulated and I find it to be risky. FTX US agreed with those terms. So that's the first thing that I wanna point out. This channel never once promoted crypto. That's not something that I've ever done before. You can look back at every single sponsorship Every single shout out, I've not taken any of them down. You can go and review them. I'm explicitly clear that I'm not promoting the crypto portion of FTX US because I simply don't trust it. It's the same reason that I don't promote the crypto version of M1. This has been a new feature for a long period of time, and it's something that I choose not to promote. I don't really like crypto. I'm not interested in it. It's not something that I've ever been into. So I don't talk about it a lot on this channel, and I'm certainly not gonna get paid to promote it. What I did promote was their stock brokerage platform that does have government regulations and requirements. So that's the first thing that I wanna clarify in terms of the sponsorship on this channel. The next thing that I wanna clarify here is that FTX and FTX US are two separate entities. They're not the same thing. In fact, FTX US is an affiliate of FTX that has separate licensing, separate agreements, separate regulations. They run independently of FTX. Right now, Binance has a letter of intent to buy FTX, not to buy FTX US. The acquisition impacts only the non-US businesses. FTX US will remain independent of Binance. FTX US, again, which is an affiliate subsidiary, is not impacted by this liquidity crunch. On FTX US, right now withdrawals are and have been live, assets are fully backed one-to-one, -one, and the exchange 
continues to operate normally. Now, again, this is talking about, this is referring to the crypto portion of FTX US, which is not something that I've ever promoted before in the history of this channel. Now, having said all of that, I also wanna point out that this channel is not sponsored by FTX US. It has not had any affiliation, anything to do with FTX US for over three months now. I ended the sponsorship three months ago for fear of this type of thing happening. That was basically the reason that I decided to end the contract. Now, even though I haven't been affiliated with FTX or sponsored by them for over three months now, I know that this is gonna be used as an opportunity for many people that already do not like this YouTube channel to take a punch. So you're gonna see that online. You'll see some people in the comments section, even though nobody lost money as a result of this and people can withdraw their money from the brokerage account if they want to, Critics of this channel will use this as an opportunity to take a punch. So you're probably gonna see some videos about that. I'm sure there's gonna be some smaller YouTubers that clickbait me in their thumbnails. That's the type of thing that I would expect. Now, I also wanna mention something else. Going forward, the reason that you haven't seen me do really any sponsorships on this channel is because frankly, I don't have control over other companies. And that's something that's always concerning to me. Anytime I'm getting a sponsorship from a different company, I'm always wondering if they're gonna be doing something stupid down the road even after our sponsorship ends. And I don't like the idea of people holding me accountable to what a company does outside of my control and perpetuity. So that's part of the reason I haven't taken on any additional sponsorships. There's been companies like Masterworks that have contacted me wanting to sponsor the channel and I've just, I've just ignored it. I haven't done any additional sponsorships. I have no control over their business. I have no control over what they do. So if Masterworks sponsors the channel now, and I think that they're doing an okay job, if they do something dumb six months from now, after the sponsorship ends, I don't wanna be held accountable for what they're doing that's out of my control. And this is part of the reason that I've shifted from taking on sponsorships from other companies to sponsoring my own product, sponsoring Qualtrum Insights, this is actually a great product that provides a lot of value to a lot of people. And with something like Qualtrum that I built from the ground up and I own 100% of, I have complete control over it. I know that it's not gonna be used dishonestly in the future and reflect poorly on the channel. So this is why you see me move away from sponsoring different platforms that I have no control over to sponsoring my own products, my own platform that I do have control over, I know provides good value, and it's something that I know won't reflect poorly on the YouTube channel or the brand. Now, moving on from all of that drama, we have some big news with Disney. This company's actually my biggest loser in my entire portfolio. Disney's down almost $9,000 at this point. I have $12,500 in value now. It's surprising to me because Disney's viewed as one of these big moat, defensive, blue chip companies with a tremendous amount of brand value. So how can this company be underperforming to such a huge extent? Well, first of all, we can look at their latest earnings report. It was released today, and this is what caused the stock to now be down 12% on the day. They missed their earnings per share, and they missed it by a wide margin. 30 cents per adjusted share versus 55 cents expected. The revenue also came in below expectations. 20 billion versus 21 billion. They missed an entire billion dollars worth of revenue. Now, this is a market right now where you cannot miss. If a company misses on their earnings per share and their revenue guidance, they're going to get punished by investors. And that's what's happening right now. We're almost down 13% on the day. Huge loss for Disney, down $12. The highlight of the report is their Disney Plus total subscriptions. They came in with 164.2 versus 160.45. That was the good news, but now investors aren't caring about the subscriber count as much as they are the economics of the business. And this is where we get into, I think, the biggest problem with Disney is not the growth of their new businesses, 
but rather the decline of their old businesses. Tom Rogers clearly points out the problem here. I've been warning about this Disney story for a couple of years. Uh, the stock now back to where it was in 2014. And one way to interpret that is, yes, they have a streaming business, but is that streaming business actually going to create more value than the value being lost on the traditional business? Uh, that's really the open question. That right there is the biggest problem with Disney's story. See, when you compare a company like Netflix to Disney, they have different challenges they're facing, even though they're both going into streaming. When Netflix goes into streaming, they're not sacrificing any other part of their business. They're just building up their streaming business. This doesn't come at the expense of any other part of their revenue line. The big issue that Disney's facing right now is that even though they're seeing rapid growth in their Disney Plus subscribers, they're also seeing a rapid decline in their legacy cable business. So as they're growing one income stream, they're seeing another income stream go down. And overall, the previous business, the cable one, had better economics than the new one. So as they're growing streaming and shrinking cable, the economics of the overall company are actually in decline. We have what I would call Old Disney. Old Disney was very profitable. They had huge box office success, and they have their high margin, highly profitable cable business. A cable business where they can charge upwards of $70 per month and run 20% of the airtime as ads. That is really difficult to beat in terms of margins. The cable portion of old Disney was incredible, and the box office of old Disney was incredible. This is also when Star Wars and Avengers were playing out at their peak. So the earnings at this time were really good. But then in 2019, Disney decided to go into streaming. And right then, the economics tanked. They faced the same problem that Netflix has had over the past decade, which is creating a lot of content for a subscription service is really expensive. And not only is the new investments for that streaming service incredibly expensive, and they're seeing massive cash flows go down, but they also have their old business starting to decline. Over the past three years, cord cutting has accelerated, and the COVID pandemic caused the box office to shrink. So there's all these culminating factors causing Disney's earnings to vanish. And we can see the same thing in their free cash flows. From 2017 to now, the free cash flows have been on a steady downtrend. And while all of this is happening, while cash flows are going down and earnings are going down to fund this new endeavor into streaming, investors are starting to become impatient. Initially, investors were excited about the streaming prospects, but now they're saying, we want profits, we want cash flows, we don't really care about these different metrics like the amount of subscriber numbers. This transition in the focus from investors has happened over the past two years. What you're seeing here is something for the first time, I think, that the market is not reacting to the headline subscriber number of Disney, which is usually what happens here. So investors no longer care about the streaming numbers. Now, Tom does go on to highlight that if you actually look at these qualitative things that are happening with Disney, the amount of subscribers they are gaining, it's actually pretty impressive. Um, and having said that, let's give Disney some credit. The sub numbers were actually uh, pretty good. Uh, they did much better than Netflix did in terms of uh, domestic subscribers in the quarter. Uh, they weren't reliant on uh, not very valuable India subs. Uh, they did add 7 million or more uh, valuable international subs. Um, their bundling between Hulu, Disney Plus and ESPN Plus uh, working pretty well. Uh, but what wasn't working is key to really creating value in the business, and that is pricing. That's the problem all of these new entrants have with their streaming services. 
A lot of people are upset at Netflix over the past year because a streaming service is priced at a much higher price than most other streaming services. Netflix can cost anywhere from $12 per month up to $16 per month, while all these other streaming services, like Disney Plus, have been offering their service for around $7 per month. The price discrepancy is large, and a lot of customers have thought Netflix must be a ripoff, they're charging a lot more. The truth is, is that Netflix is the only streaming company that actually generates operating profits with their streaming service. Disney does not. Warner Brothers Discovery does not. Paramount does not. None of them do. Netflix is the only one that has the scale and price to generate profits. All the other streaming services as of now are subsidizing their streaming service with other portions of their business. That's why Disney's incurring such large losses. The park operations are incredible. They're profit generating. The movie business is incredible and profit generative. The portion that's tanking Disney's earnings right now is the streaming service. Revenue for streaming was actually down. And the issue for all these streaming services is they got to get pricing up to much more meaningful levels if these are going to be really value enhancing assets. And pricing for the second quarter in a row for Disney Plus, uh, both domestic and international, was down. Hulu pricing was down. And they got some price increases uh, coming, some substantial ones. Uh, but uh, my guess is in an inflationary, uh, potentially yeah. recessionary environment, passing on those uh, uh, price increases is also going to get in the way of uh, subscriber growth. So some real challenges there. So Disney's trying to balance two different acts right now, the growth of their streaming service and the profitability of it. If they move prices up too quickly, it'll slow down growth. If they don't jump prices up enough, they'll have lower profitability and they'll continue to bleed billions of dollars per quarter. Right now, the streaming portion of Disney is such a big weight over the company, it's so unprofitable that in total, the streaming assets of Disney, Disney Plus, has lost over $8 billion total. It is a money losing endeavor. And that's what investors are beginning to sour on. So right now, the magical story of Disney is not so magical. Over the past 10 years, the company's now priced the same way it was in 2014. And it's interesting to see that happen with a company that has such incredible brand assets. I think the pivotal moment here of where it really hurt Disney is their transition in business model. Anytime a company has to transition dramatically what they're doing as a company, that's something to be wary of. Because I think like in this case, the transition can take a lot longer than expected and it can be a lot more expensive than expected. I think that eventually Disney will start to have gains but I think it may take a very long period of time. Disney right now is making major investments in streaming, and it's going to take a long time for those to pay off. If we look at the historical ROCE of this company, historically it's been in the range of 14, 16, 18%, which is decent, not amazing, but decent. And then in 2019, it dropped to 7%. Then in 2020 and 2021, it's at 2%. The company's doing major investments that simply as of now, have not paid off. So in terms of what I'm doing with Disney right now, as of right now, I'm holding. I want to hold this company until at least we get some positive news about the profitability of their streaming. I think they'll eventually raise more prices, the numbers will improve, and I think investors will give the company a better bid. So even though this has been the worst holding in my portfolio, as of right now, I'm just going to continue to hold. Now moving on, we have some big news with Meta. Mark Zuckerberg officially wrote the letter to all the employees saying what's going to be happening with the layoffs. 
and it's a pretty big number. I highlighted a couple portions here that I think are most relevant to Meta investors. He says, today I'm sharing some of the most difficult challenges we've made in Meta's history. I've decided to reduce the size of our team by around 13% and let more than 11,000 of our talented employees go. Right there, that is incredible to me. 11,000 employees is only 13%. Only 13%. That is such a massive number. Meta has overhired to a dramatic degree. Now we're seeing them take steps to fix this. He says we are also taking a number of additional steps to become a leaner and more efficient company by cutting discretionary spending and extending our hiring freeze through Q1. And then he goes on to take accountability, saying, I want to take accountability for these decisions and for how we got here. I know this is tough for everyone, and I'm especially sorry for those impacted. Now, in the letter, he goes on to highlight the foundation of the problem. Basically, back in 2020, they had a huge explosion in online sales, and they forecasted that it was going to grow far more than it actually did. So their future forecasts were off by a long shot, making it so that they overhired based on those forecasts. Now they're cutting back, and the group that they're cutting back is in all parts of the company. He says, while we're making reductions in every organization across both Family of Apps and Reality Labs, some teams will be affected more than others. Right here, I think, is the important sentence. He says we're cutting back on both the Family of Apps and Reality Labs. Now, he doesn't give a percentage. He doesn't say we're cutting back 11% on each side or we're cutting back more on one side than the other but he does say and. They are doing cuts on both divisions. Now I highlighted this portion green because this is where I thought that this is actually good news for investors. This is where we get to the positive note. He says we're also extending our hiring freeze through Q1 with a small number of exceptions. I'm going to watch our business performance, operational efficiency, and other macroeconomic factors to determine whether and how much we should resume hiring at that point. This will give us the ability to control our cost structure in the event of continued economic downturn. It'll also put us on a path to achieve a more efficient cost structure than we outlined to investors recently. This is really good news if you're an investor in Meta. And then this last paragraph I also highlighted in green, I think this is another great paragraph for investors. He says, I believe we're deeply underestimated as a company today. Billions of people use our services to connect and our communities to keep growing. Our core business is amongst the most profitable ever built with huge potential ahead. And we're leading in developing the technology to define the future of social connection and the next computing platform. We do historically important work. I'm confident that if we work efficiently, we'll come out of this downturn stronger and more resilient than ever. So I know that these employees being fired is not fun, but this is necessary for the company. And in my perspective, if I was looking at this from a meta shareholder, which I currently don't own the stock, but if I own this stock, I would view this very positively. This would be something that I want to see. Good cost structure, good control over hiring, focusing on the profits of the business, and trimming the excess hiring in both the core businesses and reality labs. So overall, I really liked everything that was said in this letter. Now that's all the news for this episode. I hope you enjoyed, and I'll see you in the next one.